The Last Word with Matt Cooper. And so it's Culture Club time and we've come in-house today because... Dave Moore now has his own Dave Moore show without some fella called Dermot who used to be on with him in the morning. Declan, I think it was, yeah. Declan, <laughs> whatever, Dermot, whatever. Hey, just start. Tell us a bad joke. Oh, God, I'm on the spot. Um, I went to my grandparents' house and I said I'd walk the dog for them. And as I was leaving, my grandfather shouted down. He said, don't forget poo bags. And I went, yeah. All right, Granny, come on. Oh, good one. <laughs> and what I love is you didn't even have to think. It just oh, immediately came to you. There are a few of them that sit there in the back of the memory just ready to go for this exact situation, Matt. Exactly this. Okay, how are you enjoying being on your own? Do you miss him? I do miss him. I do miss him a lot as a friend and as somebody I've sat in oh, beside. Hold on. Is he not your friend still? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I miss him as a friend. Now he's a mortal enemy. No, but I suppose I miss the human being that I sat in front of for 21 years. Obviously, it's a ridiculously long time to be professionally, you know, betrothed to someone. Uh, but I suppose we worked really hard as a team to design a radio show that wouldn't miss Dermot because otherwise everyone would feel the same way. So I, I suppose it, it's also new, it's also fresh, it's also exciting and shiny and oh my God, this is great that I don't miss him in that way, you know, in that exact kind of broadcasting way. But yeah. I, I miss him. Like we text each other all the time and ring him all the time. Like, is he critiquing the new show? He's not. No, he's he's leaving me be. Oh, I'm sure he's stockpiling things. <laughs> and I'm sure he's more enjoying the fact that he doesn't have to, he knows what I have to deal with internally and he's delighted that I don't have, he doesn't have to deal with that. It's great that you are friends and your main friends though because, you know, for some people it's not enough to be a success but others must fail. And you <laughs> yes. have some people who leave radio shows and who want their successor to make a complete bags of it yeah. so that they can justify their previous presence there. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't want me to fail spectacularly, but maybe a slight drop-off would be just exactly what he needs. Yeah, yeah I get it, I get it. Okay, and just before we get into all the Culture Club choices you made sure. for us... Just remind us of some of the new things you've brought into the show. Okay, so one of the big ones is called Music Master. And I think, Matt, we need to get you on this and see if you can uh, you can beat some of the previous contestants. We've only had one Music Master, and we're already almost three weeks in. So it's a music quiz. I suppose think of a shiny floor, Saturday night, you know, TV music quiz show. It's that, but on the radio. And you have a, a, a round one, a bonus round, and that gives you a score. And then you take, if your score wins, you go into the Music Master final round. And one person has, is the only person. Who's guy called Brendan in Cork is the only person who's managed to be a Music Master so far. So we're still looking for as many Music Masters as we can. We want to give them the cool Bluetooth headphones, but it's a tough out call. So yeah, get you on soon, man. <laughs> I'd like to see what category you'd pick. <laughs> It would have to be... 70s prog is not one of the categories. I, <laughs> I was do. thinking more 80s. Okay, but there okay, you okay, go, fair you know, enough, fair enough, yeah, Okay, yeah. But music is a massive thing in your life, isn't it? It really is. It always has been, yeah. Um, from like, There was no music in my family home in terms of like people playing music or things like that. But certainly listening to it was was huge. My dad had a big vinyl record collection, which obviously was what people had in the 70s when I was born. And Sunday mornings were kind of a sacred time where, you know, we'd come downstairs and... JJ Cale would be playing or Cat Stevens or whatever, you know, whatever he loved when he was a bit younger and he'd play that. And so I kind of got a general appreciation for listening to absorbing and, and loving music. Um, and then very quickly, I transferred that into playing. Uh, again, not that I saw anyone doing it, but it was just kind of, I said, well, I, wa I want to do what I hear. 
how do I do that? Oh, I pick up a guitar, play the piano, do whatever it was. And then that's what I pursued as a career before radio came knocking. I was a, a songwriter and a music producer and my aim I kind of, in the back of my head, I still think I am that. I've taken a little hiatus into radio, but that's 21 years later. Okay, but hold on. Let me ask you a really stupid question. Mm. What does a music producer do? And what sort of talents do you need? Great question. There are lots of different definitions of the word producer. When it comes to big acts and big records, a producer's job is to kind of corral the talent you know, that comes into a room trying to capture the the mercury of these guys playing together, whoever it is, and steer the ship, as it were. Because obviously the band or the act will know what they want, but ultimately you hire a producer to try and help you along the way. Now, where was I? Was I in, you know, trying to capture the mercury of these incredible bands? No, I was a working music producer. So what I, that would mean is literally that I would produce an end product of music. So somebody would come to me and go, we need a new last word of Matt Cooper jingle package. Okay. What can you do for us? And I would have, I would have already done a barrel load of stuff. I would have loads of options for people to listen to and go, oh, we like that. Can we get it to sound a bit like this? Or it could be music for a film, a TV show. It could be a pop song. In fact, I, I really was deep into pop music. So that would be kind of where uh, I made most of my career and most of my money and most of my success was in the world of pop. So I would have hard drives of songs that people would come along the Louis Walsh's and I'm again not up at Louis's level I did deal with Louis a bit but lower levels that were trying to get bands to Louis or get bands to Simon Cowell in the UK would need to have a song and have a demo Is there any big well-known song that you can claim responsibility for as producer? No, there isn't. And I wish I could. And it would be a massive claim to fame. No, I genuinely was about getting bands to the point where they got to talk to someone like Louis, who would then go to guys in the UK, Steve Mack and these guys, and go, give me your big hit song. And does that mean then that you weren't working with pianos and guitars and drums and various instruments, but you effectively were working on a sound desk and mixing stuff together? Everything. So I was doing it all because ultimately when I started, which was in the late 90s, uh, like you you wasn't like it is now where you just need a MacBook and a, way, a pair of headphones and away you go. But it was the beginning of home computer studios. It allowed me to be able to do what they call multi-tracking, which is layering a drum on top of, you know, a bass on top of a guitar on top of a vocal and create a mix myself at home, which in itself was crazy in 1996 that I could do this. But uh, I was still, I needed to be able to play I needed to be able to understand what different genres of music were. And again, that I put that down to a kind of a very varied upbringing of music that I was able to write a pop song, write a heavy metal song, write a jazz song, write a hip hop song, whatever it was. And we're going to get to your varied tastes of music <laughs> in just a second. But were you ever in a band as well? Yes, yourself? yeah, it was in a thrash metal band called Afterlife. Uh, we played McGonagall's, a famous venue inside on, uh, in South Ann Street, in Gra- uh, off Graff Street, so sadly no longer here. Uh, we played tennis clubs. Uh, we played trash metal in tennis yeah, clubs. church halls with thrash metal. And then around college time, I was in another band called God Magic Riddle. And we were a grungy acoustic rock band so we played grunge music but we played it always acoustic as opposed to ever plugged in other than our bass player and uh, that was actually really good that was, that, was a, that was a really good band I was really proud of that I was going to say in retrospect what you actually made of it no, it might have been great fun to be in but was it good for the listener it was that we had a, we won a battle of the bands in, the, in Trinity College Matt and we recorded an album uh, it took 
two nights in Ranelagh in a terrible studio with a terrible engineer. But we got an 11 track album, sold it uh, like cassettes around the arts block in Trinity and made a few quid out of it. If you're the engineer who recorded <laughs> that trash metal album for Dave Moore, we apologise now for the impugning of your ability. You were terrible, whoever you were. <laughs> the drum sounds the worst I've ever heard in my life. Okay, first single that you ever remember buying. Given that you, as you say, you grew up in a house where your father had loads of vinyl, but then expressing yourself in your own first purchase, what was it? It was Duran Duran, the reflex with my communion money. You spent your communion money? Well, a bit of it. I think (laughs) the single wasn't that expensive. But uh, yeah, I remember going into, I think it was Dolphin Discs on Marlborough Street and being driven in. And it was very exciting. I was going to buy some music. This was, you know, and again, you're absolutely right. I wanted to express myself. And Duran Duran, I suppose, were the flamboyant kind of, uh, you know, ethereal, slightly effeminate pop stars. And not that I was rebelling against anything in my house. My dad didn't care what I liked. As long as I was listening to music, he was happy. But I suppose I kind of felt like, you know, his his yearning for kind of country music and for uh, Americana. I was like, these boys are kind of the opposite. Let's give these a go. So it was the reflex. Let's hear a bit of it. You got to follow the sign But I'm dancing on the valentine I tell you somebody's only around with my chances on the danger I have to say, when they played St. Anne's Park in Rohini a couple of years ago, mm. I brought Aileen, who was a big Duran Duran fan from the time, all the posters apparently yeah. in her bedroom, all the rest of it. I, of course, was somewhat disdainful <laughs> of Duran Duran, given my own musical taste. To my horror, I discovered I actually knew the songs better than she did. <laughs> and also... I actually really enjoyed it. They actually played some really good music. They are phenomenal musicians. And I remember um, later in life when I understood music a bit more, the two things that stood out for me in that song were all of the kind of... At the time, I, I called them sound effects. So I didn't know what they were. But the synthesizer sound effects, like the... These weird sounds that you just don't expect in a pop record. Okay, it was the middle of the 80s. Maybe you did. And then harmonies. I just remember, like straight away in the verse like he sings one line then there are a lot of harmonies coming. I remember just going even as a seven year old kind of going wow that bit really stands out are there harmonies in Metallica because you yeah. have nominated <laughs> as your favourite album and Justice for All by Metallica uh, yeah it is in my mind Matt it is, it is perfection this, this is the peak of thrash metal born in San Francisco the Bay Area in the early 80s and by 88 Metallica had taken it to the nth degree it was it's just I suppose I came into metal with my cousins so I have a 
a lot of cousins live in Limerick and I was out playing football one day I was 11 and I remember coming in with Stephen who was also 11 my other cousin and we went in and his three older brothers Emmett, Rory and Trevor were sitting down listening to something and I heard this noise and was like what's this? and they were like oh, it's Metallica and I was like so this was Metallica's first album so it was released in 83 I was listening to it in 88 or 87 I should say uh, and they gave me a cassette tape with Metallica on one side and Raven on the other side and that was it for me. Like, I had now found the music that I had this, like, just insatiable hunger for. And then, less than a year later, Metallica released And Justice For All. And, I, like, I literally could not believe what I was hearing. And you've got to remember, like, now you might listen to it and kind of think, ah, sure, you know, Slipknot or Heavier or, you know, Avenge Sevenfold, Scream Louder or whatever. And that's fine, but... They were the pioneers. This was as heavy as it had ever been for anybody. And it was so precise. The playing was just second to none. People give out all the time about the fact there's no bass on the record. Like They had a new bass player who just joined the band because the previous one, unfortunately, died in a, in a bus crash. But they, they literally turned his bass all the way down in the mix until it was just gone. It's a weird decision, but for some reason it works. And it's just, to me, is literal music, musical perfection. Let's hear Blackened. Going on in the studio for that. I'm, I'm really resisting. I should be kicking over the tables and throwing the chairs. Yeah, look, that to me is just like that was that was the first the first song on the record. And as I said, I heard that and I just I literally could not believe what was coming out of the speakers. It's just and it still does that for you. Yeah, it does. Now, look, I think obviously it takes it takes a place in your heart. This album that kind of really focuses your love of a band or a genre or something like that. And obviously, it came to me in '88. I was probably just turned turned 13. The first gig I ever went to was them touring that record in the top hat in Dunleary, which is no longer there, was a ballroom. And to see Metallica, and now we know they're all football stadiums and nothing else, but to see them in a room of a thousand people, in, I was 13, and was my, I'd never been to a, the, the only live music I'd ever heard was in church, Matt. It was literally being listened to the choir in the Holy Family Church in Bormarnock. And the next thing I heard was Metallica playing that at like a thousand decibels and it blew my mind. Okay, so obviously Metallica are amongst her favourite bands and artists but you've given us a couple of others. Let's take Sting. I thought Ooh. it was your former colleague who was He's obsessed a, with yes, Sting a police and the police. fan. Not, no, see, it, we actually split on this one. Okay. He loves the police up to when Sting went solo and I don't like the police at all. Ah, uh, you can't be well, serious. No, they're fine. Oh, they're on. fine. They're fine. Sting is the artist that I adore. 
And really? Yeah, solo. Everything he's done solo. And I prefer I think it. we need to get that other fella back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not committing musical <laughs> blasphemy. <laughs> okay. Just hey. his, look, everything about Sting's lyrics, everything about the way he constructs songs. And again, as I... When I left college, having studied business in Russian, which every radio DJ obviously does, I went and did a, a course in Black Rock based around jazz in New Park Music Centre. And it was professional musicianship, but it was about like exploring the theory of music and how things are written and why this works with this chord and that works with that melody or whatever. And then uh, listening to Sting with that knowledge that I had gained, you're just so flabbergasted by his abilities. But then he can just write unbelievable melodies. Let's hear from the 1987 album Nothing Like the Sun this is An Englishman in New York Because I bet you I could trump every one of them with a police song. Um, okay, well, I mean, obviously I'll go for the big ones rather than my favourites, but Fields of Gold from Ten Summoners Tales. Me- message in a Bottle. Um, okay, let's go with... Uh, okay, my favourite. You're struggling. I can no, give I'm you not. King of Pain. I can okay. give you Can't Stop Losing You. I can give you So Lonely. Has, uh, there, Invisible is there, Sun. Is there any police song in 9-8? Nine, 9-8? Eight? Nine, eight. Musical's time signature of 9-8. No, Hung My Head is in 9-8. It's like the most ridiculous time signature you can write a pop song in. Sting can okay. do it. We need to take a break and we're going to run in late. So anyway, gigs. You've already told us about Metallica gig. The best gig you were ever at, which apparently was for your 27th birthday. What was it? Oh, sorry. What was it? <laughs> Tell me, what was it? It was NSYNC. <laughs> NSYNC in Anaheim in California. It was literally the best musical night of my life and everyone to this day still laughs at me about it. 27th birthday, NSYNC, on the Celebrity Tour in Anaheim in California. It was just, like, incredible. To someone who loves NSYNC, obviously, this is, you know, I realise to most people, including yourself, it'd be like, what are you talking about? you got to pick Sting, even that would be better than this. But, like, as somebody who wrote pop music, as somebody who was aspiring, you know, if you asked me my dream at that point, it was to work with the likes of... Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Rihanna. This was this was the the dream. Legitimate aspirations, Thank and you, you got to work with Dermot Wheeler. I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it went downhill very quickly as soon as I stopped trying to be a pop producer and got into radio. But yeah, it was just it was one of those absolutely magical nights. Okay, we don't have from that particular night. Instead, we have NSYNC on its 2001 Pop Odyssey tour, singing "Bye Bye Bye." Oh, Jim. Tonight, you're probably gonna start a fight. I know this can't be right. Hey, baby, come on. I know this can't be right. Hey, baby, come on. I know this can't be right. Hey, baby, come on. I know this can't be right. Hey, baby, come on. I know this can't be right. Hey
loved you endlessly when you weren't there for me. So now it's time to leave and make it alone. I know that. Okay, he was headbanging a minute ago. He was singing along to that, and now he's doing all the dance moves. <laughs> Dave Moore is with us for Culture Club. I need to take a delayed break. We're back with all his other choices movies, books, television, and the rest after this. Welcome back, Dave Moore, who, of course, presents the Dave Moore Show here on Today FM, 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock, Monday to Friday, is with us for the Culture Club today. And let's move away from the music okay. and your movie. You're a big child, aren't you? I am, literally. You're a you big, know me, big look child. at it. You see me walking around. I dress like a toddler, yeah. I act like a toddler. It's fair, Matt, it's fair. So your favourite movie is Elf. Elf. It is again I go back to this word it's movie perfection there is n- there's no instance I can think of time of the I know Elf's a Christmas movie right it is but I will have Elf on in June and it will just be on in the background it's one of those things where whatever format it's available in I have it so I have it on VHS DVD Blu-ray I also have it on whatever platform it's on and it's all always recorded you know you can stream now as well (laughs) (laughs) but I I cannot I couldn't I I don't think I've ever gone a month since it came out without watching Elf let's hear a little bit where Santa comes to the department store that Buddy the Elf played by Will Ferrell of course works at are you? What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not. Oh, why, of course I am. (laughs) You're Santa. What song did I sing for you on your birthday this year? Uh, Happy birthday, of course. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, how old are you, son? You're a big boy. What's your name? And uh, what can I get you for Christmas? Don't tell him what you want. He's a liar. Let the kid talk. You disgust me. How can you live with yourself? Just cool it, Zippy. You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? He's kidding. You stink. I think you're going to have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. He's a pastor. Great choice. It is brilliant. It is it's look, a great movie. I know, and I know. I look. I could pick, you know, something far more, you know, esoteric or whatever. I do love Lord of the Rings. You know, they're a f- fabulous trilogy of movies. In fact, I'm going to see them th- the next three Saturdays in a row. I'm going to the extended versions that are being screened in a cinema. Like literally, this is my the rest of my month is being taken up with Lord of the Rings. But Elf is still my favorite. Okay, what about a favourite play or musical theatre show? I'm not really a musical... I got burned, Matt, I'll be honest with you, by musical theatre. I was in London with my wife and her parents and we went to see Billy Joel's I'm Moving Out. And we love Billy Joel as a as a like foursome. Like we would sit down, play cards at night, and listen to Billy Joel, and it'd be just all Billy Joel all night long, the greatest hits, whatever, loved them. So they were like, let's go to see it on the West End. I was like, this is going to be amazing. It was... There was no... 
script, no no words. It was just the songs of Billy Joel and then interpretive dance <laughs> to, to illustrate a storyline about a young kid growing up, moving out. It was the, and I, at half time. I was like, "Can we please go home?" They were like, "This is incredible." I just sit through the rest of it. So I haven't had a, that burned me for musical theater and, and theater in general. So I haven't really loved too many things there. I did go see Sir Ian McKellen in Mother Goose in the Borgosh Energy Theatre before Christmas or was it, no earlier this year after Christmas that was phenomenal I brought the kids but Ian McKellen was I unbelievable the kids brought you <laughs> <laughs> favourite book or author book is uh, Magician by Raymond E. Feist What's and that? it's a it's a fantasy novel. Okay, again, let's go think Lord of the Rings, I suppose, that kind of, the way we always project these worlds are some kind of reflection of medieval England or whatever. Except this one has elements of sci-fi in it. So Pug is the main character. He is uh, just a, a kind of a stable hand or whatever, but he gets picked to be a magician. He goes to magic school or whatever. And then there's a rift in the time-space continuum and another world comes to attack this world. He is captured, enslaved on the other world, but then they realise he's a magician and they train him up to be what's called a great one. And he comes back to the world. It spawned a trilogy of these books by Raymond E. Feist. That spawned another trilogy set on the reverse world at the same time, co-written by Johnny Wirtz. And it's now being turned into a TV show, as far as I understand. It's unbelievable. I recommend it to everybody. Raymond E. Feist, magician. Okay. I'm not going to play a clip from it because I'm worried about time. But television, we always ask everyone what was the big influence as a child. And I think yours is a rather obvious one. It was Top of the Pops. Like, I literally lived for the times it was on. And when it came even to, say, Saturday morning TV, even as an adult, when there was the chart show rundowns or whatever, I would just watch them incessantly. Just obsessed with music all of the time. So that was the one. Let's hear a little bit from an October 1988 edition of Top of the Pops, hosted by Simon Mayo and Richard Skinner. Top of the pop. Best thing about those guys was they were absolutely indistinguishable from each other because they all sounded exactly the same at the BBC around that time, as you remember. <laughs> Which brings us to your favourite television as an adult with a real bias towards comedy here. Mm. I'm just obsessed with British sitcoms. Like, my wife introduced them to me when she was my girlfriend. I had never, I'd never really watched sitcoms. Like, just, they were kind of on in the background. I was aware of them or whatever. And then one day we sat down to watch a video of, like, I think the first thing I watched with her was I'm Alan Partridge. And I could not believe how funny these things were. Oh, so you only got into Alan Partridge after he'd been on the Way Today after. 
and also having to annoy me knowing yep. you. I had to go back and relearn and relive all of those things. Like, Father Ted had been a huge success, and I was like, oh yeah, the show about the priests, yeah, that's supposed to be okay. So she was like, what? And now I am literally evangelical about Father Ted. I've yet to be defeated in any Father Ted quiz I've ever taken. Like, I'm obsessed with that, with the office, the UK office, with Faulty Towers. Like, these are just things that I just cannot get enough of. And again, like Elf, there's no point in my life where if an episode is on, I can't turn it off. Let's have a bit of I'm Alan Partridge, where Alan, played, of course, by Steve Coogan, goes to a funeral. Thank you for coming. Can, can I offer you my deep, deep despair on this very bad day? Thank you. I mean, how, how are you coping? Oh, well, terrible, really. We booked to go on holiday next week. Oh, bugger! <laughs> Been 41 next month. All those people who go around saying life begins at 40. <laughs> they're, they're notable by their absence. The nerve. <laughs> you close? He was my husband. Yes, yes, of course. What was he doing on the bloody roof? He was getting the aerial done because we were moving. Yeah, I know, I was being rhetorical. <laughs> Did, did, did he actually bring the aerial down with him? Yes, he did. Yeah. Oh. Comforting to know that the last thing he did was an act of kindness. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about this is he's doing this with the poor uh, widow while wearing a black bomber jacket with Castrol GTX embroidered <laughs> on the back. He's the most inappropriate human ever, but my absolute hero. Okay. To finish, Dave Moore, cultural buried treasure. And we say to all of our guests on the Culture Club, it can be anything, it can be a movie, a song, artwork, poem, book, whatever. No surprise that you've gone back to music. Yeah, sorry, I probably should have been more imaginative. No, no, that's fine. It's what you want. It is, and I think people don't know enough about this particular guy. His name is Charlie Simpson, and he was in Busted, okay? Busted. Now, look, obviously I love my boy bands. NSYNC's the best gig I've ever been to, so people will probably go, yeah, Dave, you just love boy bands. However, Charlie, Busted never really appealed to me that much because they were kind of rocky, and because I love metal so much, I was like, oh, they're not heavy enough even to be, you know, even though they're playing pop music or whatever. Charlie loved the bands I loved and he left Busted in a big Ferrari and they split up or whatever and he formed a band called Fightstar and then the, like Fightstar were the antithesis to Busted they were so heavy he, he's an unbelievable scream vocalist which if anyone knows kind of metalcore that kind of screaming he's one of the best in the world incredible songwriter incredible musician incredible guitar player his solo stuff that he's done since is kind of Americana kind of singer-songwriter but Fightstar one of my favourite metal bands of all time and it's fronted by Charlie from the Busted Okay, from the 2009 album Be Human by Fightstar Palahunks Laughter? Palahunks Laughter yeah okay. yeah yeah <laughs>
Metallica cross for Nirvana with a bit of Soundgarden thrown in. There's a bit of that all right there, yeah. That's that's <laughs> light for them, trust me. That's very early in their career. So as they got on, they got much better, much heavier. Much better, much heavier. Yeah, that, is, that, is, that is demo stage right there, that song. But anyway, look, they're brilliant. Charlie's amazing. And sure, he went on and he won um, The Masked Singer. Only the last season The Masked Singer in the UK, he won that show. I missed that. I'm sorry, Matt. Yeah, you're missed out. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us for the Culture Club this evening. Dave Moore, 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock, Monday to Friday, here on Today FM. It's the Dave Moore Show. An honour, Matt. Thank you. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.